Jen Charlton Show on 930 WFMD and WFMD.com. Telling it like it is with your host, Jen Charlton. Good morning and welcome to the Jen Charlton Show. It is so great to be here today in Washington, D.C. And I'm very excited about this interview with somebody you've actually heard from before a couple of years ago during the COVID nightmare. And we were able to reach out to somebody in Beijing and get his story from inside the boundaries of China in the midst of the beginning of COVID. And it was quite extraordinary, actually, to be able to do that. Despite some of the technological issues we had, we got the interview. I have with me again Tom Pawkin II, who is an American journalist living in Beijing, who focuses on the geostrategic and political issues and also looking at it from the lens of the impact on economies and works for a Japanese investment company and telling information from inside China about what he sees in terms of the impact of these different issues. So I'm honored to have the opportunity to meet with Tom again today and have him tell his story. And we're going to talk a little bit about our current reality here in U.S., and particularly Biden and the relationship that Biden has had to China and what we can kind of learn from that. Good morning and welcome, Tom. Good morning, and thank you for inviting me to your show today. It's great to have you here. So, Tom, when we look at what's going on in Beijing, first of all, as a journalist who's American-born, do you find it at all awkward to talk about issues that are facing U.S. and China relations? Sure, of course, it can be awkward. And also like, uh, also to add that I'm also a consultant. And the reason I mention that is because I'm starting to make the shift from journalism into consulting. And that is a very important thing to address because often what I see from journalism side is a focus on the message and the observations, whereas consulting is about talking to the decision makers or having an impact with the decision makers on how to find solutions to those complex and difficult matters. So what I've discovered as by shifting towards consulting, that even though it's very awkward to talk about U.S.-China ties, especially in America, it's a little bit easier in China. It may surprise the listeners. Why is it easier? Basically, uh, because in China, the understanding of their country is they understand that the West and the United States has a very negative opinion on China. So they are looking for trying to talk to Americans who are at least open to listening or open to new ideas because their emphasis is they would like to see an improvement of U.S. China ties, EU China ties, and U.K. China ties. But because of what, say, oftentimes the media engages in a lot of sensationalism about China, the problems that occur is that they need to talk to people like me because uh, actually I'm a Republican, I'm a Trump supporter, and so I have a good understanding that the media is not always accurate. How do they feel about Trump in China? How do they feel about the fact that you are a Trump supporter in China, given the fact that he was very hard on the U.S.-China policies relating to trade? Definitely at the beginning, when Trump came into the White House, The Chinese had a hard time understanding Trump. They were not used to this kind of president 
who, let's just say, do not often speak in diplomatic language and use Twitter to really criticize others, including China. They were not accustomed to that. The, most of the time when they had prior presidents, uh, there was a little bit, shall we say, softer tone in how the t presidents, uh, the leadership of China and the leadership of America talk. So at first they were very surprised and they didn't realize that this, that Trump was actually trying to negotiate a real trade deal. And he was speaking in terms of like a businessman or a real estate developer. I had a good friend who was a auditor at, at Ernst and Young, EY in Beijing. And he explained Trump was as a prop, real estate property developer, his job was to get into a lot of fights at the beginning of the negotiations and find ways to get all of the people on board to sign papers because if they didn't sign the paper, there was no property deal. But a lot of time there was a lot of fighting because they were all fighting for the best deal for themselves. But in order to make the deal happen, they had to find some way of reaching a middle ground where everyone benefits. I mentioned this because when I talked to the Chinese about Trump and I said, you have to talk to Trump as a business person. You don't talk to him as what the former presidents were doing. A lot of the former presidents did not have this type of business experience. But the Chinese actually are very interested in business negotiations, business talk. They take great pride in being business people. So once they had this understanding of Trump, then they discovered that it was easier for them to negotiate deals, trade deals, the trade talks of Trump, because when they focused it on a business aspect and as business negotiations, they discovered that there were ways they can find common ground. That's fascinating. I mean, when you think about business, and I love the fact that now you, you're you on the same page, actually, whereas they try to say here in U.S. that Trump's demeanor is unacceptable on the world stage. It's influencing or insulting to others. Um, but what you're saying is they're actually like-minded. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So... What I appreciate in what you just said is Trump is actually looking for the best deal for U.S. And he's fighting to get the best deal for U.S. In the past and even in the present, other presidents have not done that. In fact, they've caved. They've given in. They've given away the farm. They've given away all our ammunitions currently. We're depleted severely just to support Ukraine and our own people are suffering, our veterans are homeless, our you know, border is Swiss cheese, and meanwhile, they're worried about Trump and his demeanor. It seems to me people need to start refocusing on what is best for U.S. What are your thoughts? I, I totally agree, and also something I'd like to emphasize as well is they, once they under, the Chinese understood what America first met, it's, and from a business perspective, America first is support, try to get support for your side as much as you possibly can. But it's also understood that if America does America first, China will do China first. So they're going to have to fight for whatever they believe is right. But at the same time, when they did the trade negotiations, the Chinese had some weaknesses on their side. And what was smart on Trump was actually the tariffs. He was not blocking trade. He was raising tariffs. So what that showed to the Chinese is that if they improve their behavior, 
then Trump would lower the tariffs. What he did was put us on an equal playing field. Yes, indeed. A lot of times the mistakes that the prior presidents had done was they were afraid to raise tariffs or they were really afraid to talk hard to China. But in, re in reality, the Chinese understood that they had been exploiting their side too much for too, too long, for over 20 years after they had entered the WTO. And what ended up happening was it was actually Trump who was really the first president to really push, push back on a lot of these trade issues. And by that being said, it forced them to respect Trump's position and then to find ways to compromise. A lot of times, they, before a U.S. president even threatened to raise tariffs, he, they would just make bluffs or they would say, maybe we're going to raise tariffs. And then China would sort of back up just a little bit. But when Trump actually raised the tariffs, the Chinese then realized he was not bluffing. So they had to find ways to get Trump to lower the tariffs so they had to soften their position on some major issues. And that was very effective. That's fascinating. So I want to ask you about Biden. Biden. I mean, we just found out on the very day that they dropped an indictment on Trump, they strategically, no doubt, which means there was influence and coercion. There was there was a there was influence and there was collaboration between the administration and the Department of Justice in order to drop that indictment the very day. It's confirmed that Joe Biden, our president, took five million dollars in bribes. That's at least what we know. It could be more. What are your thoughts on that? I don't think it's $5 million. It could be even higher. Uh, what I sort of anticipate from the House Oversight Committee is that they are leaking the information step by step. So the reason being because the most of the media is pro-Democrat Party, pro-Biden, so they're going to do whatever they can to protect Biden. I think it's definitely going to be more than $5 million, and I'm pretty sure they already have the evidence already. Do you have any knowledge or understanding of where these bribes are coming from in China? Well, definitely it's a fair question to ask. And as I said, I when I do my consulting, I'm not telling anyone to do bribes or anything illegal. But I also understand that a lot of the bribes that came from the Chinese side came from a so-called energy company that was trying to do deals in Ukraine. And they were also trying to do some deals with the U.S. So with that being said, that specific company in China, from my understanding, no longer exists. It used to be a publicly traded company. You will not find that publicly traded anymore. Was it Burisma? No, that was the Ukraine. That, there was a difference. So there's a China energy company that was involved with a Ukraine energy company in allegedly bribing Biden. Is that your understanding? From my understanding of people I talk to who are familiar with the situation, this energy company did have connections with Burisma, and they had connections with some of the other people bribing who were involved in, in Europe. The Chinese energy company that is alleged to have made bribes to Hunter Biden and the Biden family is called CEFC. From what I heard from my sources, that when Chinese President Xi Jinping first heard about this bribery coming from the side of China, 
These people got arrested. They were cracked down. There was a story in the New York Post where he was talking about how there, uh, there one Chinese official, I believe his name was Patrick Ko, connected to that energy company. I'm not 100% if this was the correct name. He was connected to that energy company, and he got arrested because when Xi Jinping, President, Chinese President Xi Jinping found out about it, he not only kicked them out of the board of directors, but he had these people arrested. He was very upset to hear about this corruption. There are some tapes of, of Hunter saying, oh, my gosh, this guy got arrested. Okay, so you heard it here. That's very interesting because I think a lot of people have demonized Xi Jinping. So what you're saying is, Actually, he's a pretty good guy if he's throwing these guys in jail. So we're going to take a quick break. I have with me today Tom Pawkin II, who's an American journalist living in Beijing, who has incredible insight into the very issues that we're facing right now in our country as a result of actions taken by Joe Biden in his various roles in our country. And I think it's time for the truth to come out and for consequences to be levied here in the U.S. against the people who have been either not honoring their oath of office, not protecting our sovereignty, and perhaps acting in a way that is violating our national security interests. We're going to take a quick break. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Sweeties on the Creek. We're scooping now, and we'll be right back. Show your patriotism this 4th of July with a flag from the United States Flag Service. They offer premium, high-quality flags that are made in the USA. Whether it's the grand old flag, your favorite military flag, or a historical flag, celebrate your freedom with the flag from the United States Flag Service. Go to usflagservice.com. That's usflagservice.com to see their selection of available flags. And then call 1-800-USA-FLAG to purchase your flag today. USA Flag Service. Fly your flag for freedom. Welcome back. This is Jen, and I have with me today Tom Hawkin, who is an American journalist living in Beijing, China. I want to ask you, Tom, about BlackRock. BlackRock has had a relationship with a lot of different companies, perhaps this energy company that you talked about, and they have allegedly invested U.S. dollars from U.S pensions and so forth of American workers into Chinese companies, some of which are affiliated with the CCP and military operations in China, which seems to fly in the face of what's in our best interest when we're funding and investing in our enemy's military strength. What are your thoughts about that? First, I'd like to confirm something that I do as a consultant in trying to improve U.S.-China ties. I am still a U.S. citizen, and I'm a patriot. So I would never encourage any American companies to do any investments or any collaboration with the People's Liberation Army. And the people in China know that I would not support any type of, of U.S. and Chinese companies directly trying to find ways to improve or modernize the People's Liberation Army. Obviously, if the Chinese companies want to do it, I'm not going to, I don't 
I don't want to interfere because that is that is China's that is China. But what I want to get at is is that the reason I like to mention that is because a lot of times when I talk to people, they become suspicious of me. They think I'm somehow trying to help People's Liberation Army. No, what I'm trying to help is with the U.S.-China issues on from a diplomatic matter. So anything military, I don't touch. I always call myself a peace and prosperity consultant. So. Companies like BlackRock, if they had ever come up to me, and they never have, but if they asked for me to help them make connections with, say, military people, I would not have, I would have never gotten involved because I totally disagree with that. And so if BlackRock, Black, if it is true, and I can't confirm 100%, so I'm glad you said allegedly, is if they had direct connections with PLA technology developers, that to me, even I myself consider that outrageous. However, if there was indirect ways, because when you really think about technologies, it's not just used for uh, either, you can't really separate a lot of the technologies between the civilian purposes and the military purposes. And this is what a lot of times people get confused with, say, Huawei, Shenzhen-based. They think, oh, Huawei has these amazing technologies, but they also sometimes sort of help the PLA, therefore they're guilty by association. I disagree with that. Now, as I said, there are certain departments, probably of Huawei, that do specific development, let's say, with some of the military stuff. I don't get near that. But if there's other, for example, civilian purposes for Huawei that, for example, they tried to help with the 5G in Europe and there was a time they wanted to help with the 5G development here in America, then that's a, to me, that's a different story. That's a different understanding. You say it's a different understanding. What is your how is it different? Are you saying that? We didn't want 5G. There has been a lot of controversy around 5G. And Huawei was one of those companies that we all said, why are we supporting them? Why are we involved with them? Why are we playing with them? What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's, a, it's actually a much more complicated issue, issue than most people understand. Okay, because Huawei is sort of like the Apple of China. So if you really look closely at Google, Microsoft, Apple, all of them have government connections to the U.S. government, and even they have connections to the Pentagon. So if we're going to accuse Huawei of these of these connections, well, then let's take a closer look at Microsoft and Google. They do they help operate cloud system for the Pentagon for the CIA. Uh, I also understand that Apple has done some hardware uh, development for the Pentagon and their weapons as well and their IT side. So what I'm trying to get at is if you paint the brush that if a company has some connections to military, you have to cast them aside, I'm saying that's just incorrect. Now, the 5G, of course, is very complicated because the 5G, when you, uh, you, you develop it, there are some of the military technologies that were somehow connected. It's the same thing with Google. If you really look at Google's background, it is so tightly connected to the CIA, okay? So, but people don't talk about that here in America. They don't look at Google as, as similar to Huawei, but there is this deep connection. And the reason I wanna mention that was is because when Huawei was trying to develop its 5G in Europe, they, the European government said, well, let's try to make sure that this 5G doesn't get connected to the military side for China. 
And actually, Huawei was developing technology, so there was a separation. But then the Washington kept pushing against Europe for having 5G development at Huawei that there was a total ban. And so what I'm trying to address is, is that because everything got was was depicted in a certain way, Huawei had no opportunity to really help with the 5G development in Europe and the U.S. But guess what? Who has the best 5G networks? Who has the best 6G networks right now? It's actually China. China is way ahead of even the U.S. And I can speak for myself during my trip to the U.S. that even the IT infrastructure here is so far behind China that I almost feel like I'm in a caveman period because I've gotten so used to the to the technology developments in China and the IT infrastructure. It is it's a night and day difference right now. I love hearing your inside kind of view because I think we have as Americans been unfortunately perhaps we don't see the whole story and uh, certainly if somebody is selling their access or rather if somebody is selling access to U.S. officials uh, like is suspected and alleged of Biden's son Hunter then we have concern, right? Because we have national security issues. We are a sovereign nation and we have the right to defend and protect ourselves and we must. So um, anyway, I really appreciate your perspective. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with Tom Pawkin II here visiting from Beijing, China with inside perspective on what it is to have U.S.-China relations and what can we do to repair them. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Sweeties on the Creek. We're scooping now. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Jen, and I have with me today Tom Pawkin II, who's visiting from Beijing. He's an American journalist over there, and he has incredible insights into what is going on in China and sometimes the misperceptions and misconceptions that we may have of China. Tom, right now there's a lot of concern about China going into Taiwan and taking over Taiwan. What is going on and should the world be concerned about the expansion of China's power into the Pacific Rim? Sure, that's a fair question to ask. And obviously many people do worry about the Taiwan issue. Um, I had the opportunity in April and also early May to make two trips to Taiwan. And they were specifically for research purposes. I, my job was to understand what's really going on, how are people feeling about the issues of Taiwan, and I talked to many locals as well as also foreigners who uh, live in Taiwan. And one of the things that really surprised me was to see how calm the people in Taiwan were. Uh, what you see in the media right now is a lot of sensationalism. A lot of people are making it sound like uh, China is about to invade Taiwan, or that the Americans are trying to spark a conflict in, in Taiwan. But when you talk to many people in Taiwan, they're really not interested in this issue. Well, many of them said that, hey, we like talking about domestic politics, but we're getting tired of talking about U.S.-China or China-Taiwan relations or Taiwan-U.S. relations. There is a bigger focus that most regular Taiwan people have of the domestic. They don't really fear 
China. They don't believe there's going to be an imminent invasion. They believe it is just talk. They believe that what the government is doing in Beijing is just trying to look strong. But they know and what they believe is that if China invades Taiwan, if China invades Taiwan, that uh, what will happen is this will lead to a war three scenario. And it's not just going to be a fight between Taiwan and China, because it will only take China a few days to win over Taiwan. But what Taiwan knows is that there will be a strong response from Washington. There will be a strong response from South Korea, Japan, and probably many other countries. You say a strong response from Beijing Biden, but I'm not seeing that really be a reality, given he has been, well, let's say, influenced. Well, I wouldn't say it's influence. Even if he is influenced, let's let's be honest. Biden is a very weak leader. He does not command much respect on the world stage, and the Chinese know that. They see somebody who is weak. They see somebody who is senile. They see somebody who can't even speak in complete sentences without having to read a script. So what they see in Biden is a total loser. Okay? Okay, that's interesting, except that Biden has been bought and paid for, in our view, allegedly, by the Chinese. So isn't that convenient for them? Well, Biden was bought and paid for by the Ukrainians. Did he directly fight for Ukraine? No, he's just doing a proxy war. Well, we do know, however, if we're going to go to Ukraine, we do know that some of the equipment that we've been sending over there is now coming in the southern border. So Ukraine, you could say, has been a distribution center of our goods and services, our military weaponry, our resources. And meanwhile, again, I bring up, we have people suffering in our own country that need that help, and we're depleted. So I don't trust that what he's done is in our best interest whatsoever. Well, I mean, I certainly understand that argument, but what I also want to clarify, and from the Chinese people I'm speaking to, is that they are not interested in invading Taiwan for no reason, or even if there is a weak president in the White House. They only feel compelled to attack Taiwan if the Taiwan government formally declares its independence or if the U.S. military engages in a direct conflict with the U.S. over Taiwan. Now, I understand there has been some Chinese aggression in the seas. So what about that? Well, it's also another fair question to ask, but you also have to realize that some of those waters that the U.S. is sailing into is are waters that the Chinese government thinks is, is theirs. I'm not saying it, it is their waters, but because this is disputed waters, by the U.S. Navy sailing into certain waters, it is uh, it looks aggressive to the Chinese, and then they are responding with aggressive measures as well. Okay, fair enough. Let me ask you this. Let's switch to China-Russia. What is the relationship between Moscow and Beijing? It's very good relations, and it's actually gotten stronger since the Russia-Ukraine conflict started. The Chinese understand that they are very unpopular on the world stage. They are basically similar to the Russians in Europe. Russia is very unpopular. So a lot of times when you have countries that are very unpopular, 
that uh, basically they only have each other to rely on. China doesn't trust the U.S., China doesn't trust Europe. It's the same with Russia. So basically what you see is an alliance of convenience between Russia and China, and plus they share a common border. Recently I read an article where the trade between Russia and China has multiplied, has really increased, and this has been very helpful to Russia as they face these sanctions right now. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, I want to ask you, Tom, about the money and the financial conditions, especially given that the U.S. petrodollar has been replaced by the Chinese yuan. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Jen, and I have with me today Tom Pawkin, who is an American journalist living in Beijing, and he's very knowledgeable on what we'll call the inside scoop of China. And I know that some of us have often said we don't want to become China. I just went to a J6 hearing where I heard the horrific stories of the people who are being politically persecuted through the J6 process, uh, some of whom didn't even walk in the building. It's pretty shocking. And yet the man who witnessed the killing of Ashley Babbitt and has it on video has never been investigated by the police. So that's pretty interesting to me because that's incredible evidence that they should have been interested in and, and pursued. So I say that because we say, oh, well, we don't want to become China, and maybe we already have. Is it true that in China you have this kind of political persecution going on? Well, there are some cases of political persecution, and China is not an innocent country. And although I do live in China and work in the country, I'm aware of some of its problems. But I also want to bring to your attention, and one of the reasons I'm happy to work in China is because during the era of Deng Xiaoping, when he was leader of China, in the late 1970s, December 1978, he introduced a reform and opening up policy. So he tried to reverse course from the China's Cultural Revolution, where they were basically, it was hardcore Marxist culturalism that was imposed by the Red Guards, and, and a lot of people died, and millions of people suffered from it. The Chinese reflect on that, and it was a nightmare for them. They never want to return to the Cultural Revolution again. So they see someone like Deng Xiaoping and his reformism as, as heroic. Now, obviously, Deng Xiaoping was not a true Democrat, and he was not a true human rights promoter. And that's, that's understandable. He's made some mistakes, and other government officials are not pro-democracy e- either, and they're not so strong on human rights, just like, say, you would see in the West. But a lot of times what the Chinese tell me, and I think this is good to understand, is that they see their country as, look, hey, we have over 1.4 billion people living in our country. It's a very big-sized country, and their main focus is stability. So sometimes they have to overemphasize the law and order to create that stability as well as to create some sense of unity. So by creating this sense of unity, that helps with the stability. But the problem that occurs in this scenario is sometimes they can be a little bit too strict. And uh, China doesn't really deny it. Is the J6 situation here in U.S. something that you would see in China if you were to 
speak out against the government? Well, yeah, obviously there's censorship, and people would suffer some consequences for it. But I actually see it more similar to the Cultural Revolution rather than what is the current state. Because the Cultural Revolution was a basic a time when they tried to transform China through Mao's leadership with the Red Guard to a country that was a radical leftist Marxist state that tried to abolish traditions. So what I see right now, and I had also had a chance to speak to some of the JSEC witnesses outside the capital, and what they were describing, what they were suffering from, was what many Chinese who suffered from the Cultural Revolution described. To, it was almost the same exact words. I was very surprised to hear that. Interesting. All right, let's talk in our last few minutes together about money. Sure. Uh, we are seeing a drastic decline in the valuation of the dollar. I could say that it's we have an instability in the dollar globally. The petrodollar has been diminished and, and tossed aside by Russia, China, some, some of the other uh, BRICS yeah. nations. So what is your thought about what's going on in the economic fallout of the decline of the U.S. dollar and the post-COVID collapse that I think we're seeing globally? Well, first I'd like to explain the reasons behind what's this de-dollarization trend. It is not actually a case of China just wanting to show off and show how powerful and wonderful the Chinese yuan is. Of course, you have some patriots who think that way, but the real reason, and a lot of people aren't talking about this, but the real reason is that what they witnessed with the Russians getting sanctioned is they believe there is a new era when Europe, Brussels, London, and Washington are going to sanction countries, and then their national currencies are going to be dramatically weakened by it, and it will be impossible for them to do foreign trade. So what China's response is, is if you have a sanctions type of governance system, that is unfair to those countries being sanctioned, whether or not they're good countries or bad countries, because the ones who really suffer are not the governments, are the regular people because they can't transfer their money into U.S. dollars or euros or Japanese yen. And that could put them in a really dangerous, scary situation. So this desolarization process is basically a response to the rise of sanctions that the U.S. and EU is leading. Interesting. So let's talk about digital currency. What is China's view on digital currency? That's a good question. Recently, for the media, I've written an article on what is known as central bank digital currency. Now, actually, I myself am a supporter of it. I'm not a supporter of cryptocurrency. I'm not a supporter of the currency that's just for speculation purposes. What I believe in is that is if you want digital currency to succeed, it needs to be backed by central banks. So when China, the Chinese yuan needs to be backed by the People's Bank of China, it's central bank. If you do it in the United States, it needs the, the do, digital dollar to be backed by the U.S. Federal Reserve. Because when it, when these central banks back those central, those, those digital currencies, it provides security. So yes. Well, let me just cut in on that. So 
there's a lot of controversy around central banks and the power and control they have over our dollar valuation, interest rates, etc. So I think that there's a divide right now in money as to whether or not it's going to be a central bank-backed digital currency, which you're saying you're in favor of, versus a gold-backed digital currency. What are your thoughts? Well, I've had some people ask me of this, and also for my consultant, I had to also do some research on gold-backed securities, and I heard that Africa was interested in this, and they've even talked to me about it. Unfortunately, I had to come... Just by doing neutral analysis, I've concluded that gold-backed securities don't really work because it requires the security of natural resources, let's say in Africa. So, But what happens, especially when you have corruption in Africa and suddenly the gold disappears, then how could the money be backed? Whereas with central bank digital currencies, that money is being backed by the central banks. So I do support... Uh, I have strong support for gold, and I encourage others to buy gold. But as a currency, like a gold-backed currency, I just believe it, it, we haven't reached that stage, and it's actually not as easy to do as, say, it was done a long time ago. Uh, we live in a different age. We live in a new high-tech age. So the new age of money is going to be digital. So one of the challenges to that is social scoring, which we know in China has been incredibly detrimental if you don't play ball the way the government wants you to. And we are a free, supposedly free nation. I think that we've lost a lot of our freedoms, and I think that our constitution is severely corrupted by uh, certain leadership right now and uh, and not honored as it should be. But therefore, the banking situation if someone doesn't play ball the way government wants them to or god forbid they speak out against the government in our country which is supposed to be freedom of speech we're not supposed to end up in a gulag or in 24 7 you know prison uh, cell because you went to a building that's owned by the people so That whole J6 thing is such a violation of all that, and people have lost mortgages and banking, and they've been tossed out of PayPal and all of these different things uh, because they went to an event. So my concern is digital currency leads the way into this social scoring that gives the government, wherever it is, China or in U.S., total control over our ability to eat, travel, do business, et cetera. What are your thoughts? Well, definitely these are major issues to address. And I had some talks with an Israeli um, consultant who is highly connected to the development of CB, central bank digital currencies with the EU, with the People's Bank of China, with the Singapore government. And, and we address these issues that you talked about. And I because he asked me first, what is your initial opinion? And I explained exactly what you said. And I said, if you cannot fix that problem, this is this becomes a very dangerous situation. But what he actually said was while he's working with the People's Bank of China, was he was surprised to learn that they are trying to create new laws and regulations to prevent those kind of scenarios from happening. 
because but but you may be shocked to hear that the Chinese would be afraid of that it would 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 be uh, against using social credit but there's actually a very pragmatic reason why they oppose social credit and and how it impacts a person's use of the digital currency and it's actually for a very simple reason because they need to establish trust in the CBDC if they don't establish trust in the CBDC, nobody is going to use it, and this could create the collapse of the Chinese economy. So even if some people go rogue, they still need people to have access to CBDC because if they turn them off, nobody is going to trust it. And he actually told me that in Europe, the central banks are actually going in the, the direction that they accuse China of doing. Some of their monitoring is so strong and strict that he had to advise these banks to push back on the monitoring because it was too strong. So this is not just a Chinese problem. This is a problem in, in the central banks in Europe as well. Well, anytime you give people that kind of power and dominion over others, and one of the fundamental ways to do that is through their money, you control them, and they are your minions. And I think... We all need to be very concerned about the globalization of something and the power and control by what appears to be globalist mentality and oligarchs who are dominating the world scene and trying to rein in that uh, that control over others. And social social scoring, I mean, just because I don't like somebody doesn't mean I should prevent them from spending money. I think that's an absolute abuse of power, and we need to be very, very concerned about that. So I'd like, really like to thank you, Tom, for all of your time and attention. And is there any final comments you want to say about China and living there? And many Americans see the CCP as the bad guys. How do you live with that every day, and how do you reconcile that with the Chinese government? Because in our country, I think we can safely say we have good guys and bad guys, and I'm assuming you do in China as well. So how do you live with that? Well, it's a fair question to ask. Well, I've lived in China for over 13 years, and of philosophy, I'm a Catholic, and, and we even my wife is Catholic, and my son is baptized Catholic. Every Saturday or Sunday, we go to church. And the reason I mention that is because I have to be good with God. I have to be good with my family. I have to be good with my soul. And if I felt like China was going in the wrong direction, if they opposed the reform and opening up, if they were not being sincere about peace, and I'm still helping them, I'm in the wrong. Uh, so what I do is I'm just trying to find a way to promote peace and prosperity in our world. Uh, and unfortunately, people like my message is not being heard. I just hope that more people like the listeners here can can listen in. And if you guys want to contact me or if you want others to hear about me, please let others know. Because I just have a simple message. But my simple message is not being heard. How do they reach out to you? Well, first they can contact me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is A-T-M-C-G-R-E-G-O-R. C-H-I-N-A, or my email, T-M-C-G-R-E-G-O-R-C-H-I-N-A at yahoo.com. Uh, if you just say, introduce yourself, say who, who you are uh, and why you would like to talk to me or communicate with me, 
I, I respond very quickly to all what I see are positive messages. Well, thank you, Tom, so much for reaching out now that you're in U.S. for a couple of days. I look forward to seeing you again, and perhaps we'll have an opportunity to have you back on when you're back in country. And I look forward to meeting your family when they come with you. So, everybody, you've been listening to Tom Pawkin II. He's an American journalist living in Beijing, China. And this has been a fascinating perspective because I do think we misunderstand China. And, you know, there may be good reasons that need to be dealt with from a public relations standpoint. And perhaps you're doing that by being on with us. And uh, one last question. What does China think of President Trump? Well, you'll be surprised to hear, but they have a lot of respect for President Trump. They respect, definitely respect him more than President Biden. They don't think Biden take his job seriously. They don't see him as a real leader. They just simply see him as a tool of the Democrat Party. They have a lot of respect for Trump because he's a strong leader. Many Chinese love strong leaders. Xi Jinping is a very strong leader. And actually, when Xi Jinping and Donald Trump had phone calls, um, they were very powerful and wonderful phone calls. And and there was a reason for it, because Trump meant what he said, and Xi Jinping meant what he said. And they had mutual respect. Beautiful. And we look forward to having you again with us next Saturday morning, right here at 9 a.m. on WFMD. Have a great week.